The following podcast is brought to you by Babe Media. I'm Emma Clark. And I'm Kelsey Burdett. You know those people you follow that just seem to get it? They have the Instagram content that you actually watch. They own the brands that you just can't stop buying from. And they tell the stories you actually remember. The kinds of people that leave you wondering, how do they do that? Well, we follow them too. And we have the exact same question. Join us as we interview the people that leave us thinking, oh, they get it. Hi, everybody. This week's episode is going to be another solo episode. And I got so much positive feedback, you guys, from people posting our last book report style podcast episode across every social media platform. I'm talking Instagram stories, tweets we saw, TikToks. You guys absolutely showed up for that format. And I'm so grateful for that because this is the feedback that helps us determine what the next evolution of our content is going to be. And so um, I do think it's actually really important to showcase how we're implementing feedback that we get from our audience. And so, you know, you told us what you like, and we're going to give you more of that. Now, this episode, I will be straight up, applies more broadly than you may think, but it may not apply to everyone. So the most recent book that I just finished is called The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever by Michael Bungay Stanier. Stanier? I'm not sure how to say his name, but this whole book is meant to reframe how you think about leadership, people leadership, um, team leadership, you know, whatever it might be. Most of the examples in this book are relative to coaching individuals. And so I'd say for anyone that's in a management position right now or is looking to step into a management position, this book and therefore this episode is for you. For people who are not on that track and really have no interest in it, then I might recommend maybe skipping this episode and you won't hear me say that often. So don't feel bad if that's what you want to do. Um, So I want to go through some of the learnings and the frameworks from The Coaching Habit. I want to keep this episode really short, really pointed, and share lots of examples of when I've seen this work, obviously, without sacrificing confidentiality. Um, But I think actually maybe the best place for me to start is to walk you through my career journey and why this book was so applicable and so helpful to me recently. So if I go back gosh, when did I start this? Maybe, well, okay, so it would have been like 2020, early, early 2020. Um, I started managing people kind of accidentally, to be honest. So I had started in a new role. Um, Things have been going like fairly well. And we started adding new people to the team. And so naturally, um, because I had a handle on things, I was starting to coach them informally. We would do one-on-ones, believe it or not, but in the org chart, they weren't technically reporting into me. And so um, that evolution was very interesting because I call that like my default coaching. I didn't have any training. I wasn't specifically seeking out resources and help on how to be a great lead because technically on paper, I wasn't a team lead. Um, And so I would say that those conversations were very much making sure that these new reports or new people, I should say, were feeling comfortable 
and confident and they knew the answers. And so our one-on-ones would be them coming to me, Hey, I've got these 19 questions. And it would be me bang, 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 answering 19 questions. We would get the energy up. They would know exactly what they needed to do when they left that meeting. And then next week, same thing, 20 items, bang, 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 20 items, got it, chop box, checked, checked the box or whatever, and, um, and kept moving. And so I naturally, I was solving everybody's problems. Every one-on-one, we were going through 20 things. We were coming up with 20 solutions. They were leaving happy. I was leaving happy because I felt like I was helping. And it's not until I got to other levels of leadership and management where I realized like how toxic that can be. And I don't want to scare people. Obviously, if you're solving problems for people, it's maybe not the most helpful behavior. And I'll explain that in a second, but we're certainly not like um, toxic just seems like a strong word is what I'm trying to say here. So, um, it may not sound that toxic, but I'll tell you relative to this next evolution of leadership, just how big of a difference that makes. Um, and so, okay, that was, that was my first foray into coaching of some capacity. Okay. So fast forward a little bit. Um, I changed companies and ended up being a team of one, a department of one. And, um, you know, kind of put the coaching stuff on the back burner. It was no longer my priority. I was going to try and go build a channel and I had a lot of other things on my plate. So coaching kind of took a back seat. That's fine. Um, and then once we had proven out the channel and we needed to start hiring for extra support on the channel, naturally coaching became another focus of mine. And so we started out with one direct report and one slightly indirect report who was helping on the team. And, um, and that's when I was like, okay, now I'm at a point where I realize I'm stepping into this much more formally. I know this is something I want to do. My one-on-ones and my team meetings are the highlight of my week. This is something I'm excited about. And so, um, I, had never responded well to micromanaging. And so when I got these two people on board and we were executing on a channel that I had built over the last, I don't know, 12 months at that point, um, I thought the best thing I could do for these people was to give them an incredibly long leash. Hey, you guys figure it out. You're smart. We hired you for a reason. Go do your thing and I'll be here to check boxes when you need me, that kind of thing. And um, definitely a different approach than what I was doing before. And I thought a big step in the right direction. But what we found three to four months in is not having the structure and not having the frameworks in place was actually kind of debilitating. It was making, instead of having one plus one plus one equals three, it was kind of like one plus one plus one equals one. (laughs) And what I mean by that is there were no network effects. There were no team benefits of having three people tackling this channel. We were all three tackling the same issues in isolation. And again, not really the most effective. And so fast forward a little bit. Um, Gosh, this must have been eight months later, I would say. Um, I found out that my boss was leaving and I was going to be stepping into Phil their role. And so um, now going from a team of one and a half to a team of five and a half, six, if you um, count, you know, the the extra support that we had on the partnerships front. So anyways, um, that changed quite a bit. And I realized that this was no longer a joke. Like I didn't have the time, um, nor even the desire, to be honest, to to put all of that responsibility on, on these people anymore. And so um, 
I just got very serious about learning the art and the science of coaching. And I want to say this first and foremost, I do not have it figured out. I've been doing this for months, not years. And I've been doing this with a handful of people, not dozens of people or hundreds of people. And so what I'm going to share with you is what I believe to be true today. I may tell you five years from now, even five months from now, that that's no longer the case. Um, And that's why I rely on sharing resources like the coaching habit, not just my own opinions. But I do think my context and my examples will help kind of solidify things for the people listening. Okay, so that was a lot of talking on the setup. I do think it's important you know where I'm coming from, but I don't want to hold back anymore. I want to get right into it. So if I could give you the thesis of this book, if we remember back to English class, the thesis, the main point, why did Michael Bungay-Stanier decide that he wanted to write this book? It's because there's a massive problem with my first iteration of coaching. They bring you problems, you solve them. It's because you feel like you're helping. You feel like you're checking boxes for them, which is true, but they're not actually learning. And so the scariest thing, if anyone's ever read the book Multipliers, love that book. Maybe I'll do a book report on that one next if if you guys like this one. The whole idea of multipliers is removing yourself as a bottleneck, okay? And if you're the reason that things are getting solved and your team is trained or conditioned to come to you every time they have a problem, guess what? You've just become the biggest bottleneck on your team. And if you look at true leadership, if you're in the weeds solving problems for your team, you will never be able to do the six-month, 12-month, 18-month strategic planning that is actually going to change your team from where they are today. You guys, this is totally underrated. You cannot be a fixer for your team. The best way I can describe it is in this book, we talk about enabling, right? Or empowering. How do I not tell you the answer? How do I help you get to the answer on your own such that you remember the way that you got there and you can replicate it next time I'm not in the room? Okay, I'm gonna let that sink in. That is the thesis of the book. How do I make this team better more capable, empowered, um, able to solve their own problems without bringing me into the conversation each time. So there are a couple of ways that you can do this. Obviously, that's super like intangible and idealistic, but I do actually want to break it down for everybody. Um, And so there there are a couple of ways we can do this. This book really focuses on -on one-on-one conversations. So I mean, I guess I'll start there. If you're a team lead, if you're a manager of some capacity and you're not doing regular one-on-ones with each member of your team, that's okay. A lot of the books I've read make it seem like that's kind of the status quo if you rely to like a couple of team meetings per week. But I'm telling you, if you're not doing it yet, start. (laughs) Start. Even if it's 30 minutes to begin, but you need that one-on-one time with your reps to understand what's actually going on and also to understand what the actual problems are. Sometimes when you're in a leadership capacity, you're so forward thinking, you're so onto the next thing already that we're not dealing with a lot of the problems that exist already. And so start doing (laughs) one-on-ones. That's a long-winded way of saying that. Um, And then the other thing is once you get into the one-on-one, there are so many things that are time wasters or are unproductive just not good uses of time. That's literally what it comes down to. Small talk is one of them. And especially in a remote world, people feel the need to try and connect prior to getting into it. There are more efficient and effective ways of connecting. You don't need to talk about the weather. I promise you. (laughs) They don't want to talk about it any more than you want to talk about it. And there are other ways to break the ice. So the first question 
that you can always use is what's on your mind. And so what I'm going to take you through as soon as we go through this is the seven questions, are the seven questions, I should say, that are going to help you make your one-on-ones the most productive. And they're also going to prevent you from becoming the bottleneck on your team. This is powerful stuff if we can get into it and start actually utilizing it. So the number one question is what's on your mind? The reason we do that is because the science and the data shows the more open-ended our questions are, the more detail we actually elicit from the people we're asking. So they they shared a really interesting example um, at a doctor's office. The average time before a doctor interrupts the patient or you know the person in the in the doctor's office is 18 seconds. Can you imagine going in with like a really complex health problem and every 18 seconds your doctor is interrupting you? It's like that is probably the least effective thing. But you can tell it's just human nature. It's our default. So um the what's on your mind is really helpful because the the rep, the person you're managing, is going to steer you into what they care about. Super open-ended. Again, you're going to get more information. Really helpful question. Um, and it'll be also interesting for you to create a safe space to see what's happening inside of work that's on their mind and also outside of work what's on their mind because we're dealing with complete people. It's not fair to ask them to put blinders on. And so ask first, what's on your mind? The second question is, and what else? And so this one's very interesting because it talks about um, when challenges are brought up, the people who have one solution or even two solutions, is it X or is it Y? Is it this or is it that? There are always suboptimal outcomes. Okay. And so if you're ever doing brainstorming, if you're doing creative solutioning on different opportunities or initiatives, the ideal goal is to get at least three to four options as a minimum for people to choose from. And the the truth here is if it's binary, this or that, people are going to be lazy and pick the two most kind of obvious options. Whereas when you force them or when you encourage them to think of more creative solutions, they're going to kind of expand that binary perspective. And more often than not, the data supports you end up with an optimal outcome because you've done a good job considering all of your options. That may sound basic, retroactively or retrospectively when you think back to it. However, in the moment, we're so quick to try and just find a solution that we end up rushing this process. And as soon as we hear something we think may work, we jump on it because we are literally conditioned as human beings to solve problems, whether they're our own problems or those around us. And and it's just not helpful, again, because we're creating the bottleneck and we're actually doing that with suboptimal outcomes. It's kind of, you know, worst case scenario in many ways. And so always ask, and what else? Okay. The other thing that's really important to note here is you are going to hear tidbits that are going to lead you in one direction in terms of the advice that you give. You're never going to have as much context as the people that you're managing. And so if I can offer a piece of advice It's to stay curious for longer. This means if you feel yourself, they call it the advice monster in this book, and I understand, but if you feel yourself getting sucked in and you know the answer, or you think you do at least, and you want to provide that right away, give yourself two more questions. I literally started doing this this week, you guys, and I cannot tell you the difference it made. Um, So... I I do want to share an example, but I just, I want to make sure that I respect everybody's privacy. So um, 
Yeah, it's crazy though. It's like two extra questions will give you enough information to recognize probably how wrong your advice would be. And the second thing is like how much you should just depend on your rep. They're the ones that know all of the context, allow them to come up with the solutions. And your job in that situation is not, I repeat, your job in the situation is not to check a box. Your job in the situation is to help them consider everything they need to consider so that they ultimately make the optimal choice or for the optimal outcome. Okay. Powerful stuff. And so when a rep comes to you and they're like, Hey, I've got this big initiative that I don't know how to solve instead of jumping right into solutions mode mode. Hey, you're going to do, you know, this term over this many campaigns. This is all relative to my job, of course, um, with this budget and these people are going to be involved. Like I know what three sentences worth of information and they've been on six calls with this company. Like how could I ever know the best outcome when I have such limited information? And so instead what I'm proud of is instead of jumping into that mode, we ask, okay, what do you think the options are? How should we approach this? What do you think our possibilities are in this scenario? We came with came up with four different ones. Okay, which one do you think is the best for the client and the best for us? Okay, this one? Okay, it's a clear winner. So let's go with that. And now you know, leaving this meeting, how to solve this. But also the next time this comes up, you know your thought process or your framework for how you come up with these solutions again. That is the super powerful part of this. Okay, moving on. I wanted to keep this short. I just don't know if that's possible with me, but I'll do my best. So then the focus question. This is amazing, amazing, amazing for when you have people that report into you that come to you with a problem and don't have the solution. You guys, we've all been there, even with friends. I mean, come on, with friends, with family members, with significant others, people come to you with a problem and they almost make it seem like, okay, this is yours now to go and solve. Um, And so one of my favorite questions that I learned from this book is, what is the real challenge for you here? Pinpoint it, name it. Don't give me a blanket overarching issue. Tell me succinctly, what is the problem that needs to be solved and what is it that you want, right? And so oftentimes by getting people to do a couple of extra steps in this process, so clearly defining their problem, stating what it is that they want, and then the final piece of this like section of the questions is how can I help? So now they understand the problem super succinctly. They know what they want out of this and you're asking them how you specifically can help. This gives you pretty much as much information as you're going to need to decide how you can support this person. So really important. They call it the lazy question, this how can I help because you're forcing your um, direct report or your, you know, your coworker to come to you with what it is that they want you to do. But the beautiful part of this is like, you're saving your own time. Yeah. It may be lazy because it buys you more time, but you're actually getting to the right answer much faster from the person who has the context. Again, it's like this stuff is so obvious in hindsight, but in practice, it's not the type of thing that you're thinking about as a new manager. So absolutely love those. Um, To recap, because I think it's important to track how these conversations play out, you start your one-on-one, hey, what's on your mind? Okay, you've got these issues. Okay, what else? It could be new issues, could be more information on the current issues. What's the real challenge for you here? What is the heart of what we're getting at? And what do you want out of this? Now that we know that, how can I help you? Really, really powerful stuff. You can see how it just cuts through the noise and keeps it super pointed. Um, There are two questions left, you guys, and we're almost done. But this, this next section 
is um, these are great reminders more so than action points. So the strategic question, which is question number six, is if you're saying yes to this, what else are you saying no to? And so this is amazing for leaders, managers who constantly get things thrown on their plate. How do you filter your top priorities? And if you've listened to Essentialism, the podcast we did on the book by Greg McEwen, then you'll you'll understand this theme of the trivial many versus the significant few, right? And um, yeah, you're just not going to get anywhere if you're bogged down and you're reactive on everything. And so it's really important to understand the things that you are saying yes to. What's the sacrifice? What's the op- equal and opposite reaction from that? And um, and also helping your reps understand that too, right? Your team, helping them understand that by saying yes to whatever it is that you need or that they need from you, that there is obviously going to be some sort of chain reaction. Just helping them consider that. Finally, 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 my favorite part of all of it is the reflection question. So it's technically called the learning question. Okay. But reflection resonates more for me. So that's what I'm going to call it. And this is um, really, really interesting when we look at how people absorb information and commit it to long-term memory, right? So difference between short-term and long-term memory and how we categorize in our brains. Um, And so if we want people committing things to long-term memory so that we can no longer be the bottleneck and we can empower our people to make decisions and to solve problems on their own, the, the biggest thing is being able to reflect on what was useful to them. So it's not actually being told (laughs) and it's not reading the right answer, which is crazy, but it's not. It's not like knowing the the answer or being told the answer. It's their reflection upon the answer. So it's kind of, I think of this more as like internalization. So now that I know what I need to do, what does that mean to me? How am I going to apply that in future scenarios or what triggers am I looking for so that when that trigger comes up, this is how I respond to it. Another kind of interesting thing in this book in general is each time they introduce a new concept, they talk about this building a habit right? And that comes down to identifying your trigger, identifying your old response, and then setting a new response. And that's incredibly valuable for the team lead or the coach. It's also incredibly valuable for your team. Um, And so it's really great if you can hear, okay, next time someone comes in asking for an enterprise proposal, instead of calling Kelsey and trying to work through what the right answer is, I am going to look back through old proposals, start to build the framework of what I recommend for this brand, and then enlist the help of you know another pair of eyes, whether it's Kelsey or somebody else, just to make sure I'm thinking about it the right way. Again, so much more proactive than just putting it on the agenda for the next one-on-one. So really powerful stuff. Um, There's two things when it comes to the reflection question that I'm personally thinking about how I want to implement. Number one is like in the conversation, your parting kind of your bookend or your parting question should be, what was the most useful to you here? What was the most useful to you here? What a simple question. But the beauty here, again, is the more open-ended we leave it, the more accurate the response will be also the more detailed the response will be so what is the most useful to you here this assumes that this conversation was useful again that's kind of like the confirmation bias that we need um the other thing that i really like about it is it distills it down to the number one takeaway We know that in a 30-minute conversation, the likelihood of someone learning 25 things is really low. And so if we can get them to latch on to the one piece of information that was the most useful to them, A, 
we know what to double down on for next time. We know what kinds of information is relevant to them. But B, it also increases the likelihood that they'll actually commit it to long-term memory. So really cool idea within the context of a conversation to end that conversation with what was the most useful thing for you here. The other thing is how do we make this not a one-to-one reflection only? right? How do we make sure that happens in the conversation, but also more broadly in these team members' daily lives where I'm not the one guiding them through that? I think um, a really cool thing I've seen done is uh, sharing learnings from the day, every single day, just in Slack, via email, whatever communication tools you use, getting people to define very clearly and succinctly what they learned that day based on what happened is a really powerful way for people to get in the habit of committing these learnings to long-term memory and hopefully, again, building the habit of, of that happening across every problem that they encounter. So to recap, in case you forgot, <laughs> number one, the kickstart question, what's on your mind? Number two, and what else? Number three, what's the real challenge for you here? Number four, what do you want? Number five, how can I help? Number six, if we're saying yes to this, what else are we saying no to? And finally, what was the most useful for you? Such powerful questions, you guys. I encourage you for everyone that is leading a team, managing a team, working with other human beings, test this framework, even if you just start one question at a time. So for me, this obviously is a lot to take in as a new manager as well. And so I just started with leading one-on-ones with what's on your mind. And then once you get comfortable with that, then you can start to say the, and what else? What's the real challenge for you here? You can kind of stack as you get more comfortable with these questions. Um, If I can leave you with a couple just parting pieces of advice, intention and tone is everything. If you come into a meeting and you're like, okay, what's on your mind? As in like, let's get through this, right? That's going to communicate the wrong message. I know that sounds obvious. Everyone that listens to this podcast is smart and you know that you can't be dismissive like that. But I just really want to call that out so that you pay extra attention to how genuine you come across. So what is on your mind, right? Assuming that there are things they want to talk about, how do I pull those out of you? Just go in with that mentality. Second thing is actually listen. The number one thing in sales, obviously that's what I do, is is being able to thoughtfully ingest the information, as weird as that phrase is, but thoughtfully take in the information that you're hearing from your prospect, from your customer, from other team members, from employees, from service providers, whatever, and, um, and just communicate that you're hearing them. So it's not a matter of like reiterating every single thing they say to you, but just the nod, the mm-hmm, the okay, the affirmation that you're actually listening to what they're saying is incredibly powerful. Not just thinking, okay, what's my response to this, but truly internalizing what they're telling you, incredibly important. And um, I guess my final piece is that you don't have to say yes to everything. And again, that's a very similar theme to what I was preaching about as as uh, much as it feels that way on essentialism is if someone says, hey, here's the real problem for me. Here's what I want out of it. And I want you to bend over backwards, do X, Y, Z. You don't have to say yes. You get to that so that you know that you can respond in different ways. But the truth is there are four responses to that, that ask, right? Here's what I want from you. Yes, I'll do that. Okay probably should be the least common response to that question. Second one is straight up, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Should be a lot more common. 
Third one is I could do that, but what if I do this instead, right? It's committing to what you're actually comfortable with, not just doing a blanket yes. And then number four is explaining why you can't do something, okay? And then adding in what it is that you think is a more appropriate answer. So either justifying why you can't do it or just adding a little bit more context there and then offering up what you could do as a result. So I think you guys, if we can go through those questions with our teams, we're going to have happier people, more empowered people. We're going to have more time in our day to actually tackle other problems. And most of all, we're going to prevent ourselves from getting in the Bach checking coaching mode. So with that, we'll wrap things up just under the half hour mark. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it all the way here, that's amazing. Show us some love. Send me a DM. Send they get it a DM. Whatever you need to do. Let us know if you like the book report style podcast episodes. And if you don't, that's okay too. We don't want to produce content that people don't like. So just tell us your honest feedback. And if you have any book recommendations, I have seven book recommendations from DMs I got last time around, but if you do have them, I'll add them to the list. Every couple of weeks, we'll do another one and hopefully we'll all get smarter together. So I will love you and leave you until the next solo episode. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back with more content for you soon. Bye.